0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Adi just And I was about to leave when Ed said, "So, are you in or are you stupid?" <laughs> Everyone's hands went up. <laughs>
1: That and more. But before that, our next live stream is on December 4th, and it's our big winter holidays show that we're going to have Sean David Christensen, Amy Brooks, Edith Gonzalez, and Rob Penty telling stories. An incredible evening of stories. December 4th, 10 p.m. Eastern. You got to get your tickets at wrist showcom tour. Hello, oh, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Quincy Jones behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Tricks. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, this year has just been such a roller coaster ride. Every emotion, every extreme of emotion being felt on an hour-to-hour or week-to-week basis, just the ups and downs and endless challenges. And this past week, the New York City storytelling scene, we suffered a major, major loss. Mike Cho passed away. He was a very beloved member of the New York City storytelling family. He was someone who was remarkable when he would get up on stage and share but was also just such a joy to see at shows and hang out with afterwards and hear his observations and i just for someone so young to have passed away so suddenly of cancer right now on top of everything else it's too much to process some days so anyway we are going to pay tribute to mike On Thursday, you know, Thursdays is when we do reruns. So we're going to rerun the two times that Mike has been on the podcast. And I'll say more about him then. Meanwhile, this week, we have this great tradition of remembering the importance of gratitude. As messed up as the sort of mythology behind the origin story of Thanksgiving is... I still very much appreciate just the concept of having a day to honor gratitude. Between being grateful for what we have and keeping our imaginations open to seeing possibilities, new possibilities for the future, you know, not, not assuming that things are going to be the same, but, but always remaining hopeful in our imaginations of things that could happen in the future to be living toward. Between gratitude and that, those are the things that really, really help keep us going, I think. So we here at Risk are so very grateful for you guys, the listeners, and we're so very grateful to keep on keeping on this year. So I think you will hear from this week's episode just how well we're doing with that. (laughs) We have a few of our stories that were shared at some of our recent live streams on the show this week. Uh, In a little bit, we're going to be hearing from Aditya Surendran. But before that, a story from Mark Redmond returning to the show, one of our old favorites. You can find him on Twitter at MarkRedmond1, and here he is now with a story we call... Fire Starter.
2: Thank you. So, I'm at home. It's a summer Sunday afternoon and the phone rings. And the voice in the other end says, Mark. You better get over to work right now. Your office is on fire. I dropped my phone and I ran out of that house as fast as I could. This was August of 1995. I was director of what's called a Residential Treatment Center. It was called St. Christopher's in Dobbs Ferry, New York. It was for 96 teenage boys and girls all of whom came from poverty. Many of them were in foster care. They didn't have families to live with. Some of them had criminal justice uh, history. And they lived with us. They lived in cottages around the campus. And I lived in a house right next door. And fire was a big worry for us at St. Chris. Okay? We had had a fire the summer before. Two girls were mad at another girl, lit her jeans on fire, and threw it in the woods next to the campus and set the woods on fire. But this time to hear that my office was on fire because my office was in the basement floor of a wood frame building with 12 girls who lived upstairs. So I ran across that 18 acres and I saw two things that gave me comfort right away. I saw the Surrey fire trucks coming down the driveway and I saw all the girls out front on the lawn with the two staff. So they were safe. So I go to the back of the building where the entrance to my office is, and there is one of my staff members named Gerald Farr. He's a part-time worker for us. He's what's called a rover. Most staff are assigned to one cottage. His job is to go around the campus all day. And he's dressed in full fire gear. He's got all the fire stuff on, the helmet, everything. So why is my staff member dressed as a fireman? Well, kind of makes sense, because Gerald Farr always told us that he was a full-time New York City fireman. And he was just working with us part-time. That's all he talked about. He talked to the kids, talked to them about being a fireman someday. Fireman, fire, that's all we heard from Gerald Farr. So it kind of makes sense. So I go up, and I go to open my door. Now, I had left it on Friday, and I know I locked it. I put the key in, and it opens right up. It's unlocked. So the next question is, I know I locked this door, why is it unlocked? So we'll put that in the mental parking lot, figure it out later, because there's a fire and the black smoke is billing out at us. So Farr says to me, I'm going in Mr. Redman, okay? And if I'm not back in two minutes, send the fireman in after me. So he gets on his hands and knees and he's in there and there's smoke and he's yelling stuff back to me and I can't even make it out, it's so hard to hear. And then he's in there, I don't know, a minute. And then the firemen come marching in. They go by me. They pull him out. He comes out. He's coughing and spitting and hacking. They're giving him oxygen. So for the next hour, it's just chaos. The firemen are in there. They're trying to put the fire out. My office looked like a piece of charcoal. I mean, I wasn't able to use that office for another year. In fact, I had a whole bookshelf in there. I, I still have it. 25 years later, I salvaged one book. You, you can see the smoke. This is my proof. So anyway, they put the fire out. So Mr. Farr, he's the hero. All the firemen, they're around him. They're patting him on the back. They're asking him what he saw. He is the hero. So I go up to him and he says, Mr. Redmond, I think this was arson. I think somebody set that fire. I was like, what? I thought for sure. It's an old one frame building. It was an electrical fire. So anyway, I got to the two staff who were working in that building. And I said, they think it was arson. Did you guys see anybody at all around this building? Anybody suspicious? So the one staff member does the eye roll. He looks at the other staff member, does the eye roll thing. And I said, what, what? And he goes, Yeah, we saw somebody, your hero over there. I was like, what do you mean? And the guy says, yeah, remember? Remember I said to you, hey, what is Farr doing right outside Mr. Redmond's door? And the other guy says, yeah, and I said to you, he must be coming up to see us in a minute. But he never did. And a few minutes later, we smelled smoke. So I'm like, no way. There's no way. Because I saw that man risk his life. There is no way he did that. So anyway, I go up to Mr. Farr. I said, Oh wow, you know, thank God you were here. And he goes, yeah, you know, I always carry my fire equipment with me in my trunk. That's why I had all my fire stuff. So I said, listen, when you were working here as Rover today, did you see anybody suspicious up by this building? He goes, no, I never even made it up to this end of the campus. So now I'm thinking, wait a minute. I have two staff members ID'ing this guy right outside my door, and he's telling me he wasn't even near the place. By now, the police chief is on the ground, so I go up to the police chief. I said, listen, I know this sounds crazy, okay? This can't be true, but my two staff members swear they saw the fireman there right by my door, and he's claiming he wasn't there. So the police chief says, okay, is there someplace we can question him? Uh, I said, yeah, we have a chapel on the other end of campus. Use that. And the police chief said, we do know this. It was arson. Because whoever set this fire used an accelerant like gasoline. Mm -hmm. We also know somebody broke into that side door. And then they went out the other door. So that solved the mystery of why my door was open. And he said, they used a blue crowbar. Mm -hmm. So we find that blue crowbar. We find our arsonist. So they talked to Mr. Farr for about an hour. And then the police chief comes over to me and says, he's telling us he never told you guys that he was a New York City fireman. I'm like, no way. That's all he talked about. In fact, I'm going to go find his file. And I found his job application. And he puts right there, I'm a New York City fireman. So a couple hours went by, we had to find a place for the girls to live. I think we found a hotel. You know, it was just chaos. So a few more hours go by, and it's hot. I'm exhausted. So I go to walk back to my house, and it was just as coincidence. Just as I'm going to my house, I see Far coming out of the chapel, and he's got the cuffs on. So he yells at me. He sees me, he yells. Mr. Redmond, I didn't do it. I didn't say your office on fire. I said, listen, that's for them to figure out. I just know one thing. You're fired. (laughs) So anyway, I go to bed. A couple of hours later, I hear a tow truck. They must've gotten a search warrant. They've impounded his car. What do you think they find in the trunk of that car? A blue crowbar. I'm like, (laughs) Not only is he an arsonist, he's stupid. I mean, St. Chris had acres of woods. We were on the Hudson River. There's a million places he could have thrown that stupid... And, of course, the wood chips Matt, you know. So, anyway, the next day, it's Monday. All the staff are back, and this, of course, is all the talk. Why did he do this? What would possess him to do this? I find out the next day he was dating one of the female staff members. And she didn't think he was a fireman. And she started to say to him, I don't think you're really a New York City fireman. And she started telling everybody else. So I to this day believe he set that office on fire to go in and and be the hero to prove he's a fireman. So anyway, he's locked up. And now there's a trial. He's pleading he's innocent. And I have to testify at the grand jury so, I show up at the grand jury and I'm waiting to go in, and there's like a waiting room, and police lieutenant is across me. I knew him. I'm like, Why are we here? Why am I here and you here, and we're paying a judge and a district attorney, and we got all these jurors have to leave? Why are we here? And he says, He's got an alibi. I said, What's the alibi? He said, This man is saying he was always worried about lack of security in your office, so he purposely broke in to prove just how bad the security was. And when he was in there, he heard someone outside, so he got nervous because it was dark, and he took a, a match out to see where he was, and it magically lit the paper on your desk. It's <laughs> like, how does that explain the gasoline? Mm. So anyway, I testified to the grand jury. It never went to trial trial. His lawyer must have said to him, listen, you got to take a plea or else you're going away, you know, 25 years. And I think he got sentenced. I think it was a six-year sentence. Mm. So shortly after that, by that time, I had been working in this field for like 15 years. And I was with a a supervisor who had worked a lot longer than me. And he said to me, he goes, you know, I tell people, unless you worked in this field, you would never believe the crazy-ass stuff that happens. Not from the kids. We expect it from the kids, from the staff. And now I've been doing it 40 years You know, Kevin knows I'm director of the program for homeless and at-risk kids Up in Burlington We have 60 staff And I'll tell you, most of the people I work with They're saints They're doing really difficult work They're kind, they're caring, they're dedicated They're not making much money They're wonderful, I love them But every once in a while, Kevin You meet a person Who you hire, who set your office on fire <laughs> And that's my story, bud. (laughs)
1: I want to bring our next storyteller up. It's his first time doing Risk. He is a nerdy kid from Edison, New Jersey. (laughs) So everyone, please welcome
0: to the virtual stage,
1: Addie Surendron.
0: Thanks, everyone. You know, the thing is, I've never been to a high school party, though this kind of felt like one. You see, it was the winter of 2001, and I'm a senior in high school, and I'm in Ed Chen's finished basement, and there's techno music playing. There's the usual sort of nerds around, but also Tracy Hazlitt. She had blonde highlights with a green and gold cheerleader outfit. Someone like Tracy, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't really exist, because she was also in honors classes and had her homework done by her valedictorian-to-be. Prabhu didn't just do homework for anyone. And also, like me, she was in Model United Nations, so I thought I had an in. So I hit her with my best line. Hey, do you know what this meeting's for? (laughs) But no one knew. But we all knew and had all been told exactly what it wasn't, which is to say it was definitely not a pyramid scheme. And before (laughs) Tracy could answer, Ed Chen, president of our class, arrived to cheers. He walked to the middle of the basement where there was a green and gold podium, clearly stolen from the student council room, and began his speech. How many of you dream of a nice job, a happy family, and coming home to a movie rental every night? Uh, Actually, sounded pretty nice to me, but everyone else was quiet. Like, really quiet, so I was quiet. Well, you see, it's a trap. Whether you work at McDonald's or work as a doctor. It's all a trap. He then started to wax philosophical about web browsers. Internet Explorer sucks. Netscape Navigator? I wouldn't let Netscape Navigator touch my left nutsack. (laughs) The audience started rolling over on his carpeted floor. So we assumed that this was some sort of browser, uh, but nothing really mentioned anything on those slides about the business in any way. He then said that we could flip burgers or join the World Wide Web revolution. Ed had joined and was very close to getting his Acura NSX. There was a collective gasp across the room. I didn't really know what that was. You see, our family's car was a Honda Accord SE. The SE stood for a uh, sunroof that opened, but sometimes didn't close. (laughs) After hearing about 30 minutes of Ed's aspirations, we finally saw what this plan cost. 400 bucks, an impossible amount. And then we saw the plan and how we really made money. You see, there was a chart of humans. Two, four, eight, 16, 32. Each row referred to as a tier one, tier two, tier three, etc. And there was a line straight down the middle to create a right side and a left side. And this was key because money was only made when you completed both sides. 60 bucks for tier one, 100 bucks for tier two, 1000 for tier three, and then the numbers got silly into the six figures, but you had to add almost as many people. And even though we were told many times this was not a pyramid scheme, everything about this seemed very triangular. (laughs) I looked around, and I wanted to get out of there, and everyone looked like their eyes were filled with bloodlust. And I was about to leave when Ed said, So, are you in? Or are you stupid? (laughs) Everyone's hands went up. Tracy's too. And then I looked around and realized my hand was up as well. Mm. You won't regret this, Ed said to me after the event. Yeah, I know, Ed, but 400 bucks is crazy. Like, my parents won't go for it. He put his arms on my shoulder and said, you know, you remind me of when I was your age. Which was a strange thing to say since we were both seniors in high school. He (laughs) (laughs) he snapped his fingers. Ravi and Samir Sons of businessmen, both in Bananas Republic's Finest, came over. Samir looked at me and said, you're definitely going to be my down one. I'm so down, I said very cleverly. Ravi looked on, half smiling and evaluating me, up and down. He said we'd see him in two days, and then they got off into their fancy cars. Possibly being friends with Ravi and Samir, maybe finally getting to go to more than one high school party, and Tracy Flippin' Hazlitt maybe asking me to show her how to use Excel? (laughs) I was very happy that I'd raised my hand. And so at my parents' house, two days later, you see, they'd already given up on mom, so Ravi started to work on my dad. Uncle, if you were to start a business, what would you need? My dad's not really sure how to ask this really vague question. So Samir jumps in, money, right? Just like a restaurant. So uh, this is an internet restaurant? Samir jumped back in. Well, no, no, no. Just for Addy to start a business, uh, he's going to need some of that initial capital, and we're hoping that one day he can provide for you. Provide for us? Mom said, he doesn't even know how to use stamps. You know, his dad had to mail all of his college applications. I wanted to crawl into myself. Ravi said, look, he's smart. He's smart. He's going to go to a good school, probably a better school than me and Samir. We just want Addy to be a leader, too. I choked up. Was this the vision my new friends had for me? Mm -hmm. I couldn't really hear much more because, like a true leader, I was on the steps to my room because my parents did not want me to interfere. And before this leader embarked on a million-dollar idea, he would need his parents' approval and 400 bucks. (laughs) Okay, neither of us like this, but we want you to fail and see how hard it is to turn one dollar into two, said my mom, and it seemed like in that moment there was hope, but we had to make sure dad was on board. You see, his first job in America was selling life insurance, and because of how he looked and his accent, no one would buy from him, except for the few other Indians in New Jersey. So he went around Edison, telling his friends and family about how they could die any minute just to put food on our table. He despised that sales job. But today he looked at me and he said, Merry early Christmas, let me know how it works out. And with that and 400 bucks, I set out to become a Titan of the World Wide web. And perhaps because I signed early or perhaps because there is a God, it was none other than Tracy that was my left side down one. And then one week, three cheerleaders Two dancers and the only attractive color guard had joined up as well. And within a month, Ed got his NSX and made a big announcement. You see, the founder of 2 by 2 net was going to be at the Hilton in Times Square. Times Square in New York City? A middle schooler whose down was clearly showing asked, but there was no time to roll our eyes. We knew we had to prepare. And that train ride in was something to behold. Ravi, Samir... Tracy, myself, flanked with cheerleaders, dancers, flag wavers, all new prospects. I looked out through that window in New York City, and it seemed like this was the dream, or at least it slowly was becoming the dream. Going to business meetings, wearing fancy suits, uncapped financial success, and all as a high schooler. And this wasn't something depressing like life insurance. This was a real tech company. And I was starting to learn about Acuras as well, and figuring out which one really spoke to me as a person. (laughs) I had plans of having lunch in Wall Street, even though I knew that the subway was really far away, completely out of the way from Times Square, and also that it would cost a lot of money, but something about walking past that metal bull just seemed really important, as if we'd arrived. I looked into restaurant prices, and we settled on a Panera that was near Wall Street. Having been sufficiently souped and sandwiched, we made our way back to the subway, and that's when two things happened. The train started arriving, and I had insufficient fare. I looked at that turnstile, the gaggle of attractive girls waiting for me, the business meeting I had to attend. Should this meaningless $1. twenty-five fare stop an empire? So I hopped the turnstile an undercover Giuliani cop rose out of a group of homeless people and a flurry of harsh words started to come towards me. This trunchbull of a woman just continued to speak and I was catatonic. Do you even speak English? I saw an out, but saw Tracy with sort of a vague look of concern or maybe mild annoyance looking back at me. And at the time, it was probably the greatest moment in my life. With a flare for the dramatic, I started breathing again and said, you need to go on, go on without me. (laughs) She left Uh, without protest. (laughs) You do speak English. And a fine of $76.45 was written out. And as I got that fine, I started to look at them and realized that no one was waiting. No one looked back. And as that train pulled out, I could almost see through the window of that subway that they were just laughing and having a time of their lives as if nothing had happened to their friend. I got onto that 1-2 train and started to make my way off to Times Square. But when we reached Penn Station, a stop before, I just got off. It didn't seem like there was anything for me there at Times Square. And so I started to make my way back directly to New Jersey, rife with fines and Panera debt. I was in my ill-fitting dad suit with a tie that wasn't really fitting and looked a little awkward, but I didn't know how to adjust it. I looked like I must have needed some sort of help. Hey, what's wrong, brother? A man in a leather jacket with slicked back hair and an emaciated face sat down next to me. And I don't know why, but I told him everything, including how I just got a ticket. What a loser I was. You know, your parents won't find out about that ticket if you just send a money order. He was my guardian angel. And my new companion felt that this advice was worth $10, and I didn't feel like there was an opportunity to negotiate this. I made my way back to Edison, and immediately when I got there, drove directly to a 7-Eleven. There was a convenience store attendant there, and he patiently explained how to use a money order. He also uncomfortably explained how to mail it. You see, I'd never used a stamp before. (laughs) The next Monday... I found out that Ed Chen and the 2x2net founder were arrested in Times Square and were walked through with handcuffs. Everyone else was detained, and the team was fined heavily. A detective tracked me in school, and there were tears my entire walk to the principal's office. You see, Ravi and Samir would bounce back. They had their dad's businesses and connections to fall on, and Tracy would have many Prabhu's in her life doing all kinds of homework for her. But what about me? All those quizzes and tests, just worthless paper. I'd never even been to a real party before. And oh my God, what would I tell my parents? Merry early Christmas, Addie. It all felt so unfair and it made me sick to my stomach. The detective opened the door. I took a quick few short breaths and he walked me into the principal's office. The detective started. This company, if you can call it that, two by two net, what do they sell? "Uh, Well, Nothing. He handed me a sheet. It was landscape-oriented, and he pointed to a spot. Tell me who's that right there. Uh, that's Yeah, that's you. There were a lot of more dubiously rhetorical questions like this, so I just kept my eyes on the sheet. It showed an empty, embarrassing right side of my triangle. It showed Tracy, my left side down one, then her down twos and down threes. It showed the vast network of up ones, twos, threes, fours and beyond. Even Ed Chen, larger than life, was just one tiny dot with way more people above him. Let me ask you this once, are you going to sign anyone else onto 2x2net? I waited for the rhetorical coast to clear. (laughs) No. Good. The principal jumped in now. You see all those people there, son? Those are all kids, and this scam has cost them and our town almost half a million dollars. He handed me his box of tissues, which I definitely needed, and I waited for what I knew would come next, but it didn't because i had only filled out my left side and failed at signing any non-cheerleaders. I had not made a cent of profit. This made me a victim and not a suspect. I was offered the opportunity to join a class action and left with a box of tissues, a brochure and no punishment. Well, almost no punishment. You see, a week later, my parents got a strange receipt from the New York Metro Transit Authority. We're disappointed you didn't tell us about this ticket, frowned dad, (laughs) as he fidgeted with the VCR to get home alone to work. I just can't believe this idiot learned how to send mail, said mom, as she shoved a hot chocolate in my hands with marshmallows on top, angrily. I looked at them, my real left and right up ones, and realized there are no shortcuts, and this? is the only empire I'll ever need.
1: This is risk. This is the Home Alone theme. We heard a little bit from Lucinda Williams just before that. And we just heard a story from Aditya Sarendron. You can find Adi at Cheesedoza.com. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues... There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Folks, it has never been more crucial to help us out, if you can, at patreon.com slash risk. And there's good reason to do so. For example, this week, the remarkable bonus story there on Patreon comes to us from David Till. David's gay. I'm telling you, David's gay. And my other brother says, yeah, David's gay. He's gay. And our mother gives them this very stern look. And she says, there is nothing wrong with being gay. We make a point of putting bonus stories there on Patreon that are not to be missed. So that you'll go over to patreon.com slash risk and become a member. There's all sorts of perks in joining over there. And there's different options for how much you're donating. And if you want to make a one-time donation, you can always go to paypal.me slash risk show. And if ever you listen to Risk and think, gosh, this storytelling thing, maybe I should give it a try someday, get on over to thestorystudio.org, because all of the Risk producers are faculty members over there, and they can teach you how to do what people are doing on this show. That's at thestorystudio.org. Our final story this week comes to us from someone I'm so excited about this. (laughs) <laughs> We've wanted to get her on the show for the longest time. DJ Crystal Clear is quite a character, as you are soon to hear. She's an artist, an educator, a DJ. And she has her own podcast called Original vs. Cover. If you like music, you've got to check it out. So here she is now. This was such a treat. DJ Crystal Clear, also known as Crystal Durant, From a recent Risk Live Stream show with a story we call Let's Start the Parade.
3: All right, so it's nineteen seventy eight. It's a Saturday, and my mother decides to take my sister and I shopping, like you would do on a Saturday afternoon. My sister is eight, I'm 13. Uh, I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and we went to the Whitehall Mall to go shopping. Uh, you know, there's a Sears in there, and my mom had to get a bunch of different stuff. So we go into the mall, walk around, as usual, security starts following us. We're the only black family in the town, by the way. So, of course, we're always going to be stealing. So, we're walking around, and I noticed this 20-something white guy following us and then turning away, following us and then turning away. So, I knew what was up, and my mother knew what was up. So, after a few minutes of this, my mom said, "Uh, it's time, we're going to start the parade. And parade was code for... We're going to walk all around the store and fuck with security. That's basically what it meant. So more and more security guards start coming around. And this is 1978. So they are looking like, uh, you know, mall security without being security. They're in black suits with white shirts and black ties. You get what I'm saying. So we're wandering around and there's more and more circling us. And we're walking from department to department, you know, we're in housewares, we're in kids. My mom needed a pot and a pan, whatever, we're walking around. And she started to get more and more upset and angry as we walked around because more and more of these guys were following us. So she walked us into a dressing room and said, okay, we're gonna have a big parade today. This is what we're gonna do. Crystal, I need you to go around and get an extra shopping cart. So you and your sister and I will each have a shopping cart and we're going to go around and I want you to pick up two of everything and I don't care what it is, just throw it in the cart, right? Okay, so we're giggling, my sister's giggling, I'm giggling like, ooh, it's going to be a big parade, this is awesome. She winked at both of us, walked around, got the carts, like, okay, here we go. So we start walking around and picking up two of everything, you know, pick it up, give it the once over twice, throw it in the cart, didn't matter what it was. We got hammers, we got shoes, we got jewelry, you know, dog toys, and we didn't have a dog, didn't matter. Handbags, all kinds of accessories. Ah, this is about 10 or 15 minutes worth. Before we knew it, there were 12 men following us around, okay, pretending to not look at us, which made it look even more obvious that they were watching us. Hello. So, carts are overflowing, we can't pick up anything else. And my mom said, all right, let's go to the cash register. So we go over to the cash register. My mom is first, I'm second, my sister's third, like, you know, holding, pushing the cart because she's little. And we get to the cash register and there's this young kid at the cash register. He looks kind of like a young Ron Howard, like an Opie Cunningham kind of thing. And he's nervous and scared and wondering why are these black people with these, all these carts and all this, do they have the money to buy all this stuff? I don't know. So we're standing there and he's freaking out. And my mom says, um, you know, let's go. And he says, uh, er, um, so you want all this stuff, are you sure? And my mom says, ring it up, Junior, let's go, I'm in a hurry. So he's looking at all this stuff, he obviously can't do it by himself. So he gets on the horn and calls for backup. So then we hear like, click, 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 click these high heels coming. And there are these two women, who were in their little suits, their fake Chanel suits with their name tags on. And they walk over to the scene and it's like, what the hell is going on? They're saying to themselves. And security, uh, you know, they're pretending to pick up shirts and look at things and they're staring at us the entire time. So woman comes over and she's like, "Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Um, are you really going to buy all this stuff? Are you sure you want all this stuff? My mom said, yeah, and make it snappy because I got to pick my husband up at the Lehigh Country Club. We're in a hurry. The golf clubs are in the trunk. We got to get them to him. So let's go. Let's make it snappy. So they're just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So the manager is just like, all right, whatever. And they start ringing the stuff up. So it's the head woman and the second in command and then Ron Howard. And it's like, Uh, beehive you know it's like pick it up look at the name tag blah blah and this is the 70s so it's like click clack click, clack ding click clack click clack clack, ding and they're putting stuff in bags and they don't know what to do like I can't put a toaster in a bag there's a blender you know it's it's golf cart like what the hell so this goes on for about 15 or 20 minutes and my mom is just standing there with her arms crossed like "Mm mm-hmm okay all right let's see what's going on hurry up And she's looking at her watch like let's go And my sister and I are just like, you know, standing next to each other, holding each other's hands. And uh, they get to the last five things, the last five items. If I remember correctly, it was a toaster oven, a microwave oven, a set of tools from the tool department, like a drill and all this other stuff in a big tool kit. There were like 10 pairs of shoes. (laughs) So... My mom says, oh, hold it a minute. Uh, There's, uh, on the counter, there's a little display for Juicy Fruit gum. And she goes, oh, yeah, you know, I I want a pack of gum. Just hold it a minute. Can you give me a pack of gum? I want some gum. I want to give my daughter some gum. And so the young Ron Howard kid's like, "Uh, okay, you know, so he picks up the gum and hands it to my mom. She goes, how much is it? And he's like, 10 cents. And she said, all right, is there any... Is there any tax on that? And he goes, no, it's just 10 cents. So she flips a dime on the counter. They ring everything else up. So my mom says, wait a minute, how much was the gum again? And he goes, 10 cents, ma'am, you gave me 10 cents. She goes, oh, okay, that's fine. So they get to the very last item, which I believe was the microwave oven. And this is 1978. So the microwave oven was like the size of a Buick, okay? They can't get it in a bag you know what what's going on they're freaking out so then my mother says oh wait wait a minute you know all I want is the gum I changed my mind <laughs> so they all were completely gobsmacked uh, like blood drained out of their faces like Dracula just bit them they didn't know what to do and they're just like flabbergasted and oh my god uh, And blah, blah, blah and security they're all you know like talking into the wrist looking around. So the kid goes, wait a minute, you only want the gum? That's it? And my mom said, yeah, I changed my mind. So two of the security guards walk over and they're looking at the scene and my mom holds my hand with her right, my sister's with her left, and we're all just standing there chewing the gum, like clacking it and cracking it and everything, blowing bubbles, you know, really getting into it. And the security guard says, uh, I'm sorry, lady, you can't do that. And my mom said, can't do what? Change my mind? I do that shit all day long. <laughs> all I want is the gum. So, Junior, give me a receipt. So the kid's like, uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. And then the manager woman is like, um, you can't do that. And my mom said, sure, I can. I changed my mind. I just want the gum. The second woman, you can't do that. What are you doing? She goes, I changed my mind. I just want the gum. That's all I want. So then another security guard comes over, looking at everything on his walkie-talkie. And then two other came over. And then two others came over. So we're standing there, like, you know, cracking the gum. My mom's all pissed off. The head security guard says, "Uh, look, lady, you know, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but this no, you can't do this. And my mom says, sure, I can. And you know why? Because I'm fucking sick of you motherfuckers following us around like we steal stuff. We don't steal anything here. We've been shopping here forever. Every single time I come in here, you guys are following us around. And that shit ends today. So then she looks up at the security camera behind them, behind the cash register. And she says, now listen up. Okay? Pay attention. <laughs> We've been shopping here forever. This is the last fucking time security's gonna follow us around because if we come back in here, I'm calling the cops. My husband is the president of the local NAACP chapter, he's president of Kiwanis, he was president of the Lions Club. He writes an op ed piece for the morning call, okay? That's the daily paper. So you better not follow me or my kids if we ever come back in here. If I have any other black person come to my husband and tell us that we that they were followed around, we're going to come back here and we're going to picket your asses. We're going to get you on the news and we're going <laughs> to shut this motherfucker down. So they were like, what the fuck? Oh my, I mean, just spazzed, completely spazzed. They didn't know what to think. And my sister and I are like... Yeah, this is good. This is good, yeah. I like it. This is fun. So my mom's eyes start to well up with tears. And she squeezes my hand really hard. And I start to well up. And within about five seconds, my mom righted herself and just, you know, held it in. And she said, now, is there anything else? You got another problem? What's happening here? And they were like, um... No, ma'am, everything is fine. It's okay. And she goes, Junior, where's my fucking receipt? I gave you 10 cents for the gum. I want my receipt. And he's like, oh, uh, uh, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, okay. And he gets the receipt. So my mom says, thank you very much. We have to get to the country club right now. So she takes us by the hand. We walk out and we walk out to the parking lot. And my mom says, you know, kind of turn around a little bit and see if they're watching us. So I pretended to drop my gum and I bent down and picked it up and I looked and yeah, they were all pressed up against the glass, staring at us as we walked to our car, wondering what was going on. So we get in the car, put our seat belts on. My mom says, okay, I'm gonna drive around. Be sure to wave girls. So we drive around and we waved at everybody and they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) And we waved and said goodbye like we were Miss America. Pulled out of the parking lot, and that was how we ended our day. But P.S., it is the year 2020, okay? Black Lives Matter, shit is still fucked up, and I still get followed by security. And guess what happens when they fuck with me? Take a guess. (laughs) That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) put your bad self Fa loud
2: To make a pair. (laughs) Brother, we can't quit
1: until we get our share. Say it loud. Say it loud. loud. One more
2: time. Say it loud. loud.
1: (laughs) That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is the hardest working man in show business, James Brown, or the former. I don't know who's the hardest working man in show business nowadays, but it was James Brown. And we just heard from DJ Crystal Clear, who you can find on Instagram at DJ Crystal Clear or on Twitter at DJ Crystal Clear and the number six. Don't forget to look up her brilliant podcast, Original Versus Cover. I love a good music listening podcast and Crystal really knows her shit. Make a point of following us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at Risk Show. And on Twitter and Instagram, I am at the Kevin Allison. Get on over to Apple Music, to the iTunes podcast section, and leave us a five-star review there. Getting a lot of reviews there really helps a show. The holidays are almost here, and it is the perfect time to get the gift of The Risk Book. People love it. It's got so much in it that's funny, so much in it that's surprising, so much that's scary. Like It's all over the map, just some of the very best of Risk in one book. You can find it wherever books are sold or at theriskbook.com. And did you know I do one-on-one consultations with people about storytelling? I help people prep stories or presentations wedding toasts, anything with a narrative thrust to it i help people start their own storytelling shows sometimes i just help a person to access their memories and just kind of go back and sift through things with guided meditations look all of that up at kevinallison.com and finally folks today's the day take a risk Thank mm-hmm. you. The remarkable bonus story there on Patreon comes to us from David Till.
3: Put the clip here.